Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back. Uh, today we've got a uh, podcast, a uh, three-person podcast, a sociologist from Northern Colorado named Mr. Me, Dr. Josh Packard and his friend, fellow professor at Northern Colorado, a philosophy professor who is also a church planner, named Jeff Cook. We're going to be talking a little bit about... Uh, the Duns, people who are leaving the church. Uh, let me tell you about one more thing, though. I'm going to do a July mailbag podcast, which means you guys have the opportunity, if you so shall choose, to send in questions about the podcast, about future guests, past guests, ideas that seem to come up continually on the podcast, something you've always wondered about and never had the opportunity to voice your interest. Now is the time to shine. Send those questions in, send those comments, send those insights in, and uh, and we'll try to accumulate all those and turn it into a mailbag podcast. We're going to try it out, see how it goes, see if there's interest, and uh, we'll go from there. So if you're interested in doing this, which I hope you are, send me a message through the Facebook page, uh, Newsworthy Norsworthy on Facebook, which if you haven't liked the page, I would ask you to please do that. Uh, second of all, you can send just a normal email uh, through the loopnorsworthy.com website. And last, but probably the best way to do it, is if you're so inclined, make an audio file. Record on your phone and email it over to me. Record the question you have, and I can probably, maybe, hopefully, possibly include that in the actual mailbag. So if you've always thought, you know what would bring joy to my life? Having my voice heard on the Newsworthy Northworthy podcast, because guess what? It brings me joy, so why doesn't it bring you joy? It can. It will. It shall. If you send in a question, a comment, an insight, make it brief. Don't make it like forever like this intro, but make it short and brief and uh, give us your name, where you're from, and uh, we might be able to put that in the old uh, mailbag. 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 So let's do that thing. If you're interested, get those in the next couple weeks. I'm going to try to do it before the end of the month, so maybe uh, two weeks or so. Maybe get them in by July 20th or so, and um, we'll make that happen. So... Here we go. Here's the podcast. All right, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are coming to you. Wait a minute, I said podcast. I always say show. Why did I say podcast? I don't know. Anyway, welcome back to whatever this is. Today we're coming to you from Denver, Colorado with two guests, Mr. Jeff Cook, longtime listener, longtime friend of the show, and Dr. Josh Packard. Welcome. Oh, yeah. Make sure you get the doctor in there. That's really important. Yeah, I just wanted to, <laughs> to say that, you know, because... You know, two of us are not doctors, right? But we want to <laughs> honor you for being a doctor. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Uh, uh, Jeff, you've you and I've been internet friends for a while. I got to know your work because you blog over on McKnight's thing pretty often. Yep. Right. Yep. How long have you been blogging over there? About four years, three years, something like that. How did you get connected with McKnight? He he did a review of uh, my first book, which was on the deadly sins and the beatitudes, and. Gave, gave me a nice review and then we started a friendship and and then i was like hey i have some stuff i'd love to put up online i don't have anywhere to put it and he was gracious and and then we've just kind of started into that routine kind of yeah years right on right on and uh for you don't know you're a pastor yep. your church is called it's called atlas church atlas church and it's five or six years old uh we are celebrating year 10 10 i'm way September. off 10 wow so. and you also uh, lecture do some philosophy work yep. Up at Northern Colorado, is that right? Yep. Both Josh and I are at the University of Northern Colorado. How long have you been doing the 
And that's been 10 years also. 10 years as well. So. A decade of dominance, I guess. Yeah, that's it. And how did you guys uh, become friends? Obviously, you're, you're both at Northern Colorado where you teach sociology. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but I just moved out there. I guess I just finished my third year mm -hmm. um, at, at the University of Northern Colorado. And when we got to town, my wife and I were looking looking for a church. And uh, I th actually, before I think we even started coming to Atlas, you and I had sat down because I had found your work somewhere. And, yeah. And yeah. yeah. Uh, we sat down at, at once I finally got the coffee shop right, and we just chatted for a long time. I was mm -hmm. like, you know, it's the way anybody should pick a church, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, hold on. You actually talked to the pastor before you went there? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, hold on. Let, let's talk about the process. You move up. You, you'd finished your, your PhD at Vanderbilt. Uh -huh. You're in Nashville. Before that, good news about you, which all my listeners are going to love to hear, you had lived in Texas. N yeah, not just in Texas, but like in the Texas part of Texas. Yeah. So, uh, we, <laughs> we, you know, I grew up in Southlake, um, yeah. which, is, which is about as Texas as Texas gets, I think. It, and, it really is. And, yeah. uh, and then went to Texas Lutheran University for undergrad, mm -hmm. Vanderbilt for, for PhD. And then actually my first job was in Wichita Falls and, and then on up to Colorado because so Wichita Falls is real hot. That it's real hot, but most of all, it's in Texas. So what mm. I'm just trying to my listeners to to have is credibility that they're going to give you Absolutely. because of your Texas ties. Oh, sure, right now, uh, some people. Thanks, y'all. See, look at that. I like that. Now, okay, so you moved up from Nashville, mm. or was it Midwestern, and then yeah, that's right. Okay, so mm. you you moved up from Wichita Falls, Texas, and you decide I need to find a church, right? And you do the Google search. I'm assuming. Well, okay, so I had um, I, I had studied social religion, written a dissertation about it, had actually turned that into a book about some organizational practices that are present in in the emerging church movement, such mm -hmm. as it was back in 2006. And uh, so I was pretty familiar with a lot of um, different kinds of expressions of church. So we were looking, I think we were probably intentionally looking outside of the mainstream. I, you know, mm -hmm. I, and, and so we were, yeah, I mean, we sort of got online and did that whole thing. Mm -hmm. But we were looking for a church that, uh, I, the biggest criteria for us was, was a church where uh, my wife and I could be treated as equals. And so that was that that we you know they left a lot of mainstream denominations, yeah. um, and then once we decided though that that was not where we were going to start, then we, then we had to start picking through the weeds a little bit. When did uh, gender inclusivity become a big issue for you, or gender equality, whatever language you want to use? Um, did you grow up like that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So my parents were both um, owner operators of McDonald's franchises, and my family. I mean, this is basic sociology. Like I grew up in a gender egalitarian household. Hmm. Um, and so it was, I sort of, it was, it was an unconscious assumption on my part until I got to college and had those things challenged and realized that it wasn't, you know, you sort of have your worldview shaken up and you're like, Oh, everybody doesn't live with the same assumptions that I have. Yeah. And, and then once that became really concrete for me, um, and then it was cemented, I guess, if you, if you want to think about like, what was the watershed moment? Well, it was like, you know, when, when I asked Megan uh, to marry me, she that was like a, that would, that would have been like a criteria. She would never would have said yes. If really? It was be, oh God. No. What's her background? Um, she grew up in Minnesota, went to, we met at TLU and, uh, she, she has a master's degree in therapeutic rec. Um, so she works with people to adapt both recreation and, and jobs, uh, yeah. for people who have disabilities, but she's been, she's been at home with her five-year-old until this fall. She, uh, our son goes to kindergarten and she'll, oh, cool. she'll start figuring out what she's going to do next. Well, Jeff, aren't you really happy that you have a egalitarian church? Otherwise, Josh and you would never be friends. It's true. Oh, that's not true. It's not true. We, we would be friends. <laughs> yeah. It's true. We would, we may not have met each other as quickly. Right. Yeah. Right on. Okay. And so do you listen to sermons online before you go? Absolutely not. You didn't? No. That's he wouldn't true. have come probably. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's not true. But that's not why I go to church. 
That's well. As a pastor, I think everyone comes to hear me preach. That's, that's oh, Luke. I mean, I, sacraments. I, yeah, that's kind of important. Community, nope. great. But yep. really, it's about that time when I have a microphone and everyone has to sit down and shut up and let me talk. Is that not how you communicate your vision for services? There's a Sunday? book I think you should read. <laughs> that's my my own self understanding. Yeah, about my job and my importance. But I, I, I've read his book and realized that 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 may be. Uh, that may be off. That might not be how things actually work in the real world. I saw someone like tweet something seriously believing that where he said the most important hour of the week is. Oh yeah. That was going around was last week or something. Was yeah, it? Yeah, making the rounds on my like, Facebook. Yeah. Wait a minute. Is he taking my character and like tweeting my stuff? Is he really thinking that or what? Like, I don't know. I don't know. But okay. So how long? You, so you've been teaching philosophy 10 years. Your, your yep. master's degree was in. In philosophy. Yeah. In philosophy. Okay. Now. I don't know if I've told you, I think I've told you this before, but like the hardest podcast I've ever done was talking to Pete Rollins the first time. So talking philosophy, we're going to mute you and we're going to move on with the conversation. Okay. (laughs) Pete Rollins is a tough interview. I saw him on, it was like Calvin, uh, TV network. It was something out of Minnesota or something up North. And the lady who he was talking with immediately was out of her water uh, out of her element and didn't know what to ask because of how he thinks and in the places they goes. And I yeah. imagine he's a great thinker. I really enjoy his stuff, but he's a tough interview. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with him at all. Yeah. Uh, he came to a, 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 a small group thing that I was doing with some of my preacher buddies. And so he was like our speaker for a couple hours and he was outstanding and he wasn't like, Hey, I'm super smart. You guys are idiots. But, uh, I mean, he clearly is a genius. So again, philosophy, you get muted. Okay, so let's talk about the book. Um, Josh had a book that came out uh, a little while ago. When was the actual release date on this book, Josh? Uh, June 6th or something like that. Okay, so not too long ago. And the book is entitled Church Refugees. Now, for my listeners, you're going to go, Luke, wow, you got the title right this time. First try. I'm actually holding the copy in my hand. Um, The the subtitle is uh, Sociologists Reveal Why People Are Done with Church But Not Their Face. Now, the emphasis is on the word done with the cover. You kind of have that highlighted for a reason. Because you're talking about the Duns, the Dechurch. What is the actual name of the group that we're talking about here? Yeah, so I, in in the field of sociology, for a long time, they've been as they haven't been paid att- much attention to, but it, to the extent that they've been paid attention to, they would be called Dechurched. And mm-hmm. um, Duns is a little bit catchier. So when you go with a trade publication, the good people at Group that have published this, which has been it's been a great relationship. Weird as an academic, but good. And uh, they they coined they helped we work together coin this term duns mm-hmm. um, that I think takes off of the nuns thing and helps to draw that distinction. So really, we're talking about these people that um, that have made an intentional decision to walk away from organized religion while keeping their faith. Okay, and that that point that point about being intentional is really important because um, as sociologists, we've known for a long time why people drift in and out and switch that those theories are uh, well developed and we understand the what's like the basic theory of, of why people drift life stage right okay. so um you 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 the traditional course was you know you maybe if you grow up in the church you go to college and you sort of start to fade then you get out you get your first job you're definitely not going to church then you get married you have kids you come back yeah you know and then and then maybe again when your kids leave you might check out for a while and then come back later in your life as a church planner that was the the research they say okay this is why you want to target this group because this is the life cycle they're in they're going to want to come back when they have the first kid so you build a church around children's ministry and that's when you're going to bring them back you jeff you've you've obviously you heard that when your church was started, they said focus on children's ministry. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We had uh, 
which we did the opposite of like the place that we started. The only place we could have our kids was you actually had to go past the building we called the meth lab in order oh. to go around <laughs> to an apartment. It was a one bedroom apartment. And that's where we kept our kids. Wow. We put nice paintings on the walls and stuff, but yeah. we lost Because when you put paintings families. on the wall, they don't notice the building looks like a meth lab. No. When it, Jesse Pinkman is walking out, they're like, oh, well, you've got nice paintings on the wall. We'll ignore Walter White coming out. So this is what – when we moved out and that building, the meth lab building, finally a tattoo parlor went in. And we went by because we were just down the street again. But we walked – into the tattoo parlor and said, Hey, how are things going? We're at church down the street. Just wanted to welcome you to the neighborhood. And we were joking and saying, we thought, you know, we used to call this the meth lab. And the guy was like, let me show you something. Oh, no. And he takes <laughs> us into the back room in which there's all these soda cans that are cut in half with all these foreign substances in them. And so, so anyway, we knew. You, you, you know it's a different kind of area when you're excited yeah. that a tattoo parlor moves in <laughs> next to your children's ministry area. Okay, so you've got the stage. You realize, okay, we need to focus on children's ministry. We're going to bring him in with the meth building. Okay, so we got that. So that's the, the nuns. Well, and so, no, that's normal lifestyle. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah. that's drifting. And, and the nuns, of course, we all know because of Pew um, and, and people reacting to Pew as the people that have no affiliation. So, mm -hmm. you know, if we, ask a, if we ask a survey question, are you Christian, Jewish, you know, an on down list, Buddhist, Hindu. Mm -hmm. One of the options is always none of the above. And yeah. so the people that are clicking none, claiming no affiliation, those are the nuns. Mm -hmm. um, and that and, study came out just not too long ago, right? Yeah. So they did a, well, we've always been uh, in the social sciences. We've been tracking the nuns for a long time. Okay. Um, what was so big about the last two pew iterations, um, the most recent of which came out just about a month and a half ago, is that is the dramatic rise? Uh, the, you know, the nuns now making up a, th a third of young people and a quarter of the adult population, mm -hmm. or e even more now. Okay, I, I want you to compare that to you, you referenced a quote um, or a survey from uh, the General Social Survey, mm -hmm. which said something about the indicators have remained sa uh, stable that the percentage of Americans who know that God exists, so they've been born again and who pray several times a week, yeah. that's been consistent since the '80s. Right? Can you interpret like that? data from what we heard from pew How does yeah sure so um the pew does this really great service where uh i mean you know most of what you're reading about the nuns is people's interpretations of pew and pew has just struck this really nice ground of, of saying like here's here's the data and um they haven't actually done much to provide a whole lot of context there they, they sort of have let people run with it and do what they want mm -hmm. um and sometimes i think we get we get really bad reasoning out of that from people that have agendas to push and and sometimes we get i think like what do you mean by that uh well i mean so th like there was this there was this thing going around the evangelical world that was suggesting with no empirical evidence whatsoever that the rise of the that the rise of the um of the nuns was basically just um people finally identifying themselves correctly they were nominal christians i think was was the actual term, which 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 was crazy, right? There's there's no other than maybe you talking to somebody. The, there was no data in Pew to suggest that they were nominal Christians, or there was no major event that would suggest that in the last three years that all these people got together and suddenly had this like wake up moment of like, oh, that's right, I'm actually not a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, that they wouldn't have had at any time in the last fifty years. So that's been that's been really i think that's been a nice role for pew to play and let people sort of um bring to it their their context and experiences um what what we try to do in this book uh, in that particular statement rather is is to show that 
from a social from a sociological perspective what we think is happening is is this larger story of institutional disengagement that it's it's not I don't, I don't want to say it's not a church problem because in some ways it is, but it's not just a church problem that when we look at people's faith lives in this country with a more of a context than simply what box do you check on a multiple choice question, mm -hmm. we see really pretty stable indicators. Very few of them are actually going up, but very few of them are declining dramatically. So people still think religion is important. They still believe in God. Their understanding of God is still largely a Judeo-Christian uh, understanding of God. They, in fact, in some, in some regions and some uh, people are more, more likely to pray now than they used to. Um, it's, it's that, that's the number that's moved. The only number that's moved in substantial ways is that affiliation number, hmm. which, so when you think about it that way, what we've really got is an affiliation issue, not a belief issue. Yeah. Okay. So Jeff is a pastor. When you hear this information, and I know you've worked with uh, Josh, you've talked with this over over years, I'm sure. When you hear this information, are you going, "This is matching up with my experience as a pastor"? Yeah. Um, well, specifically this stuff, not necessarily with the nuns, but with the with the D Church, with the Duns, um, we are the people that uh, my church and the people that have created my church tended to care about most and were part of their lives and we wanted to see them have a experience with Christ are the nuns but we ended up being best categories we were actually calling ourselves refugees when we started our church and I think a lot of us would would have been categorized as duns and so both those population groups um the, this is kind of central to people. the kind of work that we do yeah so in the book he, he talks a lot about how these people have been used the, the language of being spiritually abused mm -hmm. or I think one person had a quote about church, church themselves out of church, which church, is, church, the know, church out of me, which I know we're in Colorado and probably a lot of people are under the influence of foreign substances that we don't have down in Texas, but, Oh, you've got them in Texas. No, we don't. It's illegal. We don't have anything illegal in Texas. God bless Texas. Um, but it like, it's language like these people, they still care about spirituality. It's that church has done something where it doesn't connect with them anymore in some ways, in such a way that it pushes them away. They've had a bad experience. Is that? Yeah. I mean, for myself, I was an executive pastor at a church before we started Atlas. I got sat down by three guys who were shady on, who thought my theology was shady, sat down and said, Hey, you're, you're just not wanted here anymore. And boom. And and, and then they folded three months later. Oh my goodness. But I mean, it's experiences like that, that I think are, you know, can be common. Um, yeah. that everybody has their own stories, obviously about, you know, in, in what terms of the Duns. I had a conversation with a guy who his job had him writing sermons for the senior pastor. And so he, for sure. years he had been right. Like literally the pastor would get it on Saturday, maybe add a story or something, yeah. but preach this guy's sermons for years. And then they thought, Wait a minute. You read who? You listen to who? Your theology's out of whack. Yep. We're gonna. You're done here. The pastor continued to preach the sermons that the guy had been writing for the next three months that he already had in the can, and he just keeps on going. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. You're <laughs> preaching this guy's sermons, but his theology is bad. Okay. <clears throat> this is obviously one of the points in the book. You talk yeah. about how um, uh, people wanted uh, conversations and said so they got doctrine. So mm -hmm. that's that was your experience personally. As a pastor, would that be fair to say? Yeah, actually, that would be. Like, I loved having. Obviously, I'm a philosopher, so I really do want to have high level conversations about God with with people in the church, with people outside of the church. Um, that is has not been my experience in terms of Christians. You know, getting on the bus, making sure that things are um, you know fairly narrowly defined in terms of who 
God is priorities and just theology goes beyond the creeds. There's, there's 20 other boxes yeah. you need to check in terms of right, right faith and yeah. right belief. Let, let's, let's, uh, we'll come back to that. I want to talk about that more because there's like four things that you talked about. Like these are the, the, the big studies that you, or the, the big conclusions you mm-hmm. found in the book, right? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. But you know, one question I have is you're thinking about, okay, we're going to talk up, think about what does church look like for these people who are leaving church, disengaging in church, Shouldn't you be thinking about, like, how do we build a church for the people who don't want to leave? Shouldn't we be thinking, like, these are people, like, you told me before your your parents were in the restaurant business, Mm -hmm. uh, and they own a bunch of stores. And, like, wouldn't you think they would focus not on the people who aren't their clients, but the people who show up, like my grandma, like your parents own a couple of McDonald's. My grandma goes to McDonald's, like, 18 times a week. Absolutely. Like, she wants her Diet Coke, and Uh she's going to go nowhere else to get that. Shouldn't you focus on, like, what she wants, not about people outside? Yeah, I think that's so. Uh, our background, my background is, uh, as an organization scholar. Okay. So that's real. That's what real, does that even mean? Right. Exactly. It sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> it means that like the thing, this is going to sound so nerdy. The thing that gets me really going and gets me super interested is in the ways that organizations work or don't work. And I'm particularly interested in the sort of organizations that exist on the fringes or that don't conform. Um, and, and what are the sort of practices that sustain them and keep them from all the pressures to conform, mm-hmm. keep them resisting those pressures? Yeah, um, I completely agree. Right. Okay. About, about the nerdy thing. Like yeah, that, that, that's, that's good. Very, yeah. No, no, no. Okay. So that's, um, it. So that's so, what you So that's, that's where we come at. That's, that's how I come at this. Uh, the, the field of religion happens to be something that I know. And so it's where I test out a lot of these ideas. What I don't, if, you know, if you give, I think anybody who gives church refugees a fair read is, uh, will understand pretty quickly that um, I don't think, I mean, the organization scholar, I mean, does not suggest anywhere in here that you should turn over your ministry to to the just to the duns i mean mm-hmm. in you in a in a you know we think the duns are probably maybe 20 percent of the um affiliated population and and that means that there's 80 percent that that are not duns that mm-hmm. the church works for so why why disrupt everything that you're doing um for the 80 percent just in pursuit of the 20 that'd be nuts you would you'd have a you may have this really interesting church full of eight people or something yeah okay so i can tell you're a sociologist because the pastors the two pastors in this conversation would go well jesus once told a story about yeah i know 99 yeah, for one. right right okay, okay so, so i that, do have that that's echo the in my pastor response so i liked hearing that the sociologist no, you, you, should, you shouldn't forsake the it's not like it's not like he turned the flock loose right it was like go do whatever you want like you know there is still a system in play so what, what we suggest is that there's room for both uh-huh. okay so that um as, as we, we were jeff and i were talking on the way here we're using the metaphor of the pool and, and if the duns are your sort of hyperactive people that really want the, cho- the to be supported by the church and not stifled by the bureaucracy etc they want the conversation most people in your church don't want to talk to you uh, about about your sermon you know like they they, they they're that, happy that's really heartbreaking we just became friends and now you're insulting i me. know but what they do they're happy to listen to you right but they don't want to have like if you were to if you were to ask your congregation a question about your sermon in the middle of them in the middle of the sermon, half of the people are like, whoa, what now? I should, is this a quiz? They would have to put their phones down. Right, Wait, what? exactly. <laughs> you would interrupt their game of Candy Crush. Um, but the Duns would love that, right? The, yeah. the, the, the about to be Duns would love mm. that. Well, so we call that sort of like they're swimming in the deep end, right? Yeah. But most people uh, are, are cool to hang out in the shallow end. What, what, what we would like, uh, what, as when I say we here, I mean Ashley, who wrote the book, uh, who did a lot of the research with me, is, is that churches would have both. 
right? They would have the shallow end where you could come, you could you could be fulfilled, you could get respite from the week and, and sort of cool off and hang out with your friends a little bit, and then also have a really easy way to get to the deep end when you were, you wanted to dive in and get more involved with something and be more active. And that and at the pastor's role, um, we don't think the pastor's role exclusively. What we suggest is that part of what we're thinking about as pastors in the future should be the person who helps to say you've been swimming in the deep end for too long. I've seen this before. You're going to get tired of this. You're not supported well enough. Let's, let's escort you over here to the shallow. Let's hang out for a little bit and make some room for somebody who's got some energy and, and sort of be that kind of um, facilitator, as opposed to what I think what we kept hearing from the Duns a lot is, is that the, the further out they wanted to swim, the happier that the church was to just say, keep coming, keep coming, keep yeah. coming. And, you know, as soon as you stick your head up above the sand, you know, you get, as a yeah. volunteer, you know, you get ladled down with responsibility. And yeah. eventually those responsibilities just ended up being what many of these people felt was, was just meaningless. They were picking out carpet colors. and Yeah, yeah. What was most, one of the most interesting things about the book to me was that this group of people who are the duns, who, who aren't a part of a church anymore. They're not connected. They're not people who are spiritually lightweights. It's not no. people who don't want to have the hard questions and discussions. And it's also not the people who aren't willing to put the sweat equity into right. church. These are people who are highly committed, uh, both you know, intellectually, spiritually, but also just with their time. Uh, w- would you say, have you experienced that? Like these are some of the people that, that you're connecting with or that you're seeing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, I thoroughly enjoyed Rachel Held Evans' recent book. She would qualify, imagine, along that was her trajectory in mm-hmm. terms of like yeah. leaving the church, trying to start a church on her own, still kind of bouncing around, um, asking really difficult questions, rightly so. Um, and yeah, the thing that resonates with me on, on that front is it seems to me that creating spaces for there to be tension about really, really important issues is super valuable and super important. Um, we are presently, you know, there was a Supreme Court ruling on Friday, a lot of buzz around this. Um, there's a gentleman who's a, I'm a friend of who's the editor of a, of a large Christian magazine, and he wrote an editorial on it saying, we the church have been doing this, that, and the other to make sure that this decision didn't happen, and we the church have been doing this, that, and the other to ensure that these things take place in the in the future. And I wrote him and just said, Hey, you realize that there's not uniformity of opinion (laughs) on this, that there's a lot of people who are the church who don't agree with, you know, your, your characterization of their opinions. And that's the sort of thing. I think that a lot of the Duns would just long for long for someone to just have the conversation with them. Your senior pastor doesn't need to change his mind. Right. I just want to be heard. I want to, have the freedom to vocalize my doubts about certain certain things um and it's the conversation that matters most mm-hmm. in your experience as a pastor why was that something people didn't experience maybe in other religious experiences in my church now well no no like okay so you've been in a part of other churches besides yeah. the one that you started right um why do you think in other church experiences do people not have the ability to vocalize those sort of doubts or questions or to be able to have those sorts of conversations. I might be the wrong person to ask. I've only been, I haven't, I was a Christian for maybe three years before I became a pastor, which, which what? isn't the way to go. Do, people. It, <laughs> is that what happens in Colorado? <laughs> like, uh, you, three years you're in charge. Is that that's what happens? Right. That's how, that's if you how, want to be uh, in charge of 12 people, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. you would create a church for church refugees. Right. Yeah. That's, there you go. that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because it's not, um, 
it's not easy for a lot of people to hear people disagree with them. And especially yeah. as like leaders, it's like, no, you want people to agree with you. And, you know, there's some churches that oh, that, that want to actually have like people sign covenant agreements that they yeah. believe with all these yeah. lists of things that, that they hold to. And you go, okay, but I think you even see like Peter and Paul, like in the New Testament, they kind of like disagree about some stuff. Yeah. Like there is like a tradition of people having this sort of spirited discussions. And I say spirited, not just in the sense that it's like high energy, but like they trust that the spirit is involved in those things, but, but it's not like really comfortable for leaders, but that's a big deal for the Duns. Well, and I, so there's a couple of things that I think are really worth pointing out here, which is that um, the, the, they're, they're not looking like the Duns are not looking for agreement. That's a, that's a reason that people switch churches, you know? So if I, if I'm a person who cares about agreement and my pastor says something that I don't like, that I don't leave the church. I switch. I go find a different church. That and, agrees with yeah, you. Yeah, that yeah. agrees with me. And so with the and, and the second point that's really important is that they're they're not looking for that sort of conversation or disagreement for the sake of disagreement or because they want to be disagreeable or because they think they're the most important voice in the room. What what became clear as we got through these interviews, we did like a hundred in depth interviews for this, and uh, the thing that the thing that emerged pretty clearly is that it was in those conversations that they that they actually experienced God. So their understanding yeah. of what it meant to be a Christian was something that could not happen in that traditional medium where one person's speaking to me. And, and yeah. back to that old adage that the medium is the message. Like no matter how great the message was, if it was coming from one person and I was supposed to internalize it, that's just not working yeah. for okay. them. Two things. First of all, yeah. uh, Marshall McLuhan, who said that he's Canadian, we try not to quote Canadians on the show. <laughs> Definitely not in Texas. Okay. But we're in Colorado now, so. Uh, temporarily. Right. Uh, yeah, second of all, I, I had a, a gentleman email me a couple years ago, and he let me, sent me this long email, and he had never showed up in my church before. Like, he never yeah. like, he came to an event or went to a service, and he was asking, how do you feel about different, like, interpretations of Scripture? And he was asking, like, really, like, technical questions that as, like, someone who's in grad school, I would have thought, oh, this is kind of like the stuff me and my friends talk about, but this guy wasn't. And I was really confused. Like, w like I did not know what was going on. And then I, I got to know him, and he became a part of our church along with his family. And I realized he was asking the same questions. Like, is it okay if we disagree on these certain right. things, and I'm, am I still going to be accepted? Right. That was the real question. Yeah. It was... If you really know how I think and I believe, can I bring my whole self to exactly. this church? Yeah, and that's not what everyone always gets. Right. So you you point out these four things, and in this one we've kind of jumped ahead. Is uh, they want a conversation and said so they got doctrine. Right. Okay. And you had three other ones. Uh, the first one they want a community and said so they got judgment. The uh, the second one they wanted to affect the life of the church and said so they got bureaucracy. Third one conversation got doctrine. And the last one is they wanted meaningful engagement with the world and instead so got moral prescription. Okay. So the first one. I thought was this this could be an interesting discussion. People come to church, they want community, instead they get judgment. Yeah. Okay, so tell me what what the judgment is that these people are experiencing when they come to church. So the the what, what you might think of as the natural sort of antithesis to community is um people being unfriendly or unwelcoming. Um and and that's but that's not necessarily the most damaging thing. The most damaging thing is when is when you get judgment. The duns are fine with with theological judgment this idea that you know some of them believe and some of them don't believe whatever they run the spectrum of this ultimate judging god in the heaven yeah. and hell somebody. but that's all over the place that's not what they're talking about what they're what what they're concerned with is that people were so um so concerned with policing the boundaries and borders of what it meant to be either in this group or a part of this church or this kind of a christian that you couldn't actually have real community and that there that there was nothing being done at the leadership levels of the church to to quell that. Can you give an example of 
someone who felt like they were policed at church? Yeah. So a lot of people talk, especially our younger uh, respondents talked a lot about, um, for the ways that they were, the ways that they dressed, um, if they were, especially if, if like, if they were coming from more conservative backgrounds, uh, denominations of, you know, women not wearing dresses and things like that. This is an actual thing that still happens. Like, we're not talking about like someone who shows up with a, like, like a three inch mini skirt on. Like you're just talking about like someone yeah. who doesn't wear like their quote unquote Sunday best, but like they wear like their normal clothes, that kind of stuff. That, that Yeah. I mean, that, that stuff still goes on. No, it doesn't. But, uh, That's, <laughs> it, that is not real. Like people can't, some of the, okay. Some of the, some of the stuff I was reading in your book, which I thought to myself, I was like, like, this is not even common sense. Like people just don't do this. Like this is just dumb stuff. Yeah. And that that's really what was happening. I mean, that's yeah, that's part of it. But okay. the the other issue is that so like there are there are structures and systems in place that don't um that don't reward inclusivity, that don't reward community and instead actually do reward um sort of uh protectionism and and boundary creation. So like instead of um you know really celebrating um the 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 lay people especially and and even the paid staff and your and your in your church who are spending that extra 30 minutes after the service, talking to the new family that just showed up and, and introducing them to new people and inviting them to dinner. Like what we tend to do is instead we count numbers. That's not a reward structure that, that incentivizes or compels people to be welcoming that, that reward structure compels people to be sort of protectionist over the boundary so that they don't lose anybody from those numbers. Okay. Hold on. I need to, it takes me a second to catch up. Yeah. I don't have a PhD from Vanderbilt. So <laughs> it's, I'm a little slower. You can buy one on the internet. Oh, you can? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Send I didn't me. actually, I was there for like a minute. Send me the link. Okay. I'll do that. So people, when they are told the numbers are what matter, mm-hmm. they are not as welcoming. It seems like you would like, hey, visitors show, like in my church, like everyone's really welcoming to visitors yeah. because it's a small church. But you're saying when like the, the big idea, like, hey, we have to get to X number of people that makes people less friendly? Well, when, when it comes down to like your particular ministry, so it's all about like, so how many kids did you get on Wednesday night to come here? So it's not, it's, it's not that you're not welcoming. It's, it's that within, within your particular area, because to get somebody is, is, it takes so much more work than it is to keep somebody. Um, so to get somebody to actually come to your church requires an investment of hours and hours and relationship building and all that kind of stuff. Typically. I mean, there's a certain yeah, yeah. amount who are going to walk to the door, but hmm. that's, that's a much harder thing to do than to sort of, or, you know, pay more attention to the people who are already there. Yeah, that's interesting. We, we touched on this before, but in the, that chapter, you talked about how we often get it backwards where we want people to believe the right yeah. things and then they can belong. And Jeff, I'm sure you, you've ex- obviously to yep. some degree, you, you've yeah. experienced that on a personal level. But yeah. uh, what is it like for you as a pastor to try to create a community that doesn't say you have to believe these things first and then you can join the group, but instead say you're going to belong first? How do we how do we ensure like, that, that that takes yeah, place? Like, what does that like look like for you? Like, how do you personally try to live that out? I'm assuming you've read the book, and so you think this is a good idea. Oh yeah, so you're going to do it. Yeah. Primary thing that we do is we meet in the round around a table. The table's really big, and we invite everybody to come to the table, and that includes people that don't believe. Um, if you want to come and and receive uh, the meal that we're all going to share, then it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. This table's for you. Um, and so hopefully that is a primary symbol for everything else that we do. Mm. Um, our, sim- our, our sermon time, our teaching time ends up being very conversation driven. I, I want us to look at a text that we're going to talk about the text. And a lot of times, you know, opinions are all over the place, but it doesn't matter because what really matters uh, for our own hearts and sanctifications and becoming more like Jesus is that we're looking at the scriptures 
together, wrestling with them together and saying whatever we need to say about them together. And it's that process that's uniting us. Um, and so the belonging takes place in, in those sorts of places and Hmm. the belief, I, I imagine beliefs emerge when they emerge, but, um, Beliefs are not held as an idol for sure yeah. in, in no, a church like ours. Well, and so if I could, if I could just say, like, I don't, I don't mean to, by no stretch, what I say that that Atlas is like a, an example of what everybody should be, because I, I think that it, it works for the group of people that Atlas serves, and um, it works when it works, and then sometimes it spectacularly doesn't work. I, I work like we don't always get it right at all. <laughs> um, but one of the things that Jeff does that's really helpful along these fronts is that you, you assume no knowledge. Like of the of any of, yeah of anything about Christianity community. right and right. so like when when Jeff when Jeff is giving a sermon he doesn't he doesn't refer to chapter and verse and he doesn't refer to Luke like he'll talk about who Luke was um hold on, hold on what does that mean yeah so why don't you so how <laughs> no, like, I want to hear you describe oh. how what he does yeah like, no no so so oh this is funny because I can actually do a reasonable <laughs> I can actually do a reasonable impression of Jeff but oh, this is gonna um, be good. uh <laughs> So, so he, the, the first thing that, the first thing that he did for years, what he would, he would say, uh, he would until start, I got made fun until of, you, right. Josh I didn't Patrick. know. Right. So I actually impersonate, he would, he would come out every, every, every sermon and he would say, if this is your first time here, we're thrilled that you're here. And, and this is where we're going to go today. Um, and if you're a long-term time member here, uh, or if you've been coming, for, if you've been coming regularly, just hang tight for a few seconds and then, and then we'll get into to some of the other stuff. And he would lay down the background and he would say, all right, so, so Luke was a, Luke was a traveler or, you know, he's a guy who was following Jesus and trying to spread this word. And he was writing some of this stuff down. So as opposed to sort of the, the kind of assumptions and like you, that, that's not just with that particular person. He, Jeff wouldn't even assume that the congregation would know the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. Hmm. Right. Um, and so you would present, Jeff does a good job of presenting these things as stories that yeah. are, that are made relatable by, by giving the background, not the long sort of like, you know, how this is yeah. handed down, but in a couple of sentences, you, you say, you like if you were talking about presidents of the United States a hundred years from now, you'd be like Barack Obama, who was the first black president of the United States. Um, yeah. So, is that an example of what you talked about in the book as explaining to instead of being preached at? Is that what, uh, yeah, a little, bit a, good... of, a little bit of that, but and, uh, that, the, it's those it's those symbols like of a welcoming, right? So mm-hmm. of, of community and, and and so you're not putting the barriers of right. like intellectual barrier, like you don't know this, so you can't be a part, of it, which That's makes right. a whole lot of sense. Yeah. You, you talked about this group of people; they they can't see love and judgment as being compatible. Like the, the two positions, love and judgment are simply incompatible coming from humans. Right. Okay. So I, I kind of get like love and judgment. Okay. Those seem to be like two separate things, but like do, have these people never had a coach or a parent who said like what you're doing isn't good. Like <laughs> let's just say like the, the duns, like I'm assuming the average done was an educated person. They've got yep. a job. Uh, this is, you spell that more in the book, but if I'm going to like guess this group of people probably are somewhat entitled. Like that's kind of like a, yeah. the spirit of our age. Totally. And so don't they need to be told, Hey guys, stop being entitled. This is not good for you. What you're doing is going to ruin the shalom that you want to have in your life. Totally. I think that the, like that I, I'm not, uh, I hope that I don't come across as an apologist for the Duns, uh, in any way saying that, like, I think that people should leave the church. Um, I, I certainly don't mean to, um, I definitely wouldn't advocate that position. I also would not advocate that people stay. I mean, I, I, we try to strike really neutral ground here and present data. But what I would say is that it's not that it, it's not that the Duns reject that notion 
right? It's that they reject it coming from somebody who doesn't know them. So they're not interested in having a pastor being having any authority in their lives simply because that person is a pastor. Now, if you know me, if you're if you're my friend, like if we've been in community together, and you want to call me onto the, if you want to call me out on something that you think I'm not, that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing, that's totally fine. It's not that they reject authority; it's that the locus of authority that they respect has shifted from the position uh, to the relationship. Yeah. Okay. So you write in the book that the uh, the attitude that people have towards a pastor when they find out they're a pastor is all of a sudden negative. Like they're, the, the general assumption is if you're a pastor, then you want my money or you want something <laughs> right. from me. And instead of like generations before, if, if I walk up and say, Hey, I'm a pastor, that means, Oh, whatever you're going to say next is true. Yeah. If I walk up and I say, Hey, I'm a pastor. Then all of a sudden you're on the defensive. Have you experienced that personally? Jeff? Oh yeah. yeah. I introduced myself as a philosophy teacher. That's yeah. we live in a sad world when it's more palatable to be a philosophy teacher than a pastor. Right. No well, offense. I'm, no, I'm, and that's that may say I'm a kidding, lot. About... I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Right. I don't... <laughs> but no. I, okay. I I do the same. I try to create conversations that do not end up with them saying, "So what do you do?" Right. Like, I, you don't want to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. No. The um, I don't know where the question is. There. The the. Uh, is there a question at all? Use your philosophy yeah. mind. Uh, the whole thing is a question. <laughs> no. <laughs> but okay. So you've experienced like people when they find out you're a pastor, they're all all met, all. I can't speak. They are automatically on the defensive. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a wall builder Im- immediately. Yeah. So I mean, philosophy teacher isn't much better in some ways. So <laughs> I'm a writer. Well, what do you write about? Well, you know what? Spirituality and you know, happiness. Yeah, happiness. Um, Everyone, don't, don't buy into that. <laughs> right. What is it about this generation you think that makes them have that attitude? Um, so uh, there, there's a number of, of reasons, but so like when we wrote that, we're not, I'm not writing that from, from personal experience or as a, as a belief or something. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a data statement. Um, we've been tracking levels of trust in, in public figures for a long time in the social sciences. And is and, it across the board trust in political figures? CEOs, right. So that's exactly what I'm getting there. to is that this is a, this is, you're exactly right. Luke. so this is not a, this is not like, oh my gosh, because of, you know, Catholic sex abuse scandals or uh, televangelists stealing money. This is, those things matter, of course, but this is pretty widespread. So yeah. we don't trust our politicians. We don't, we don't, okay. we don't trust our professors. Unfortunately, it's, that's the worst of them. Um, <laughs> we don't trust our pastors, it's just authority figures in general. Okay. Let's talk about, um, the next one. And this one really just broke my heart and hopefully I'll get you to change your mind. But the line was they wanted to affect the life of the church. And so they got bureaucracy in this, which is a great, no one wants bureaucracy. It sounds like a bad thing. Yeah. It sounds like a curse word. Um, we want to affect the life of the church. I like that. But in this section, you went on this awful, uncalled for <laughs> attack against the Sunday morning service. It's just like, why do it is you a hate resource. Jesus so it is much? the SUV of religion. The SU. What's wrong? Wait, with no, SUV? nobody in Texas is going to like that. It. Um, <laughs> what's wrong with an SUV? Is that a bad thing? It is. It's a. It's a. No, an SUV. Don't is a, you dare talk bad about Texas. You have I'm Texas not. blood in your Colorado it, body. I, I, if it's not already infected by marijuana. Uh, okay. <laughs> so why? Okay. It's a resource hog. I love. Look, I, I I own an SUV. How's that? I'll come clean. But um, that's confessional. That's right. Thank you. Um, the, you're holding Pro- a rosary. It's only natural. It, it probably the, it, pre- it probably runs in like coconut oil or something. <laughs> so okay, but so so here's why. Resource. My on. family and I we have we have uh, it's me and my wife and one kid and we own a seven passenger SUV. Um, thank you to my dad for gifting it to us. Um, Thanks, Dad. Yeah, we live in Colorado. My wife's family's from Minnesota. My b- parents both live in in Texas. They come to visit. Uh, we have friends with kids. There are times that the SUV is indispensable. Mm-hmm. Like we love that. Um, we also own a hybrid. 
And when the three of us go places, we generally take the hybrid. Mm -hmm. um, it's about time and place, right? And what has happened um, from the Duns perspective, you're not going to get me to change my mind because uh, data doesn't change, right? What the Duns are telling me five minutes. All right. <laughs> what the what the Duns are suggesting is not that they were tired of the Sunday morning service that it should go away. Mm -hmm. What they what they were suggesting was that they. Uh, that that the the Sunday morning service had become the one and only thing, and everything else was subservient to that. And they were interested. That group of people was interested in doing far more. Not that they should do things instead of Sunday morning, but they wanted space for other things. Is is that how you have structured the church you started? I w I wish we could have. Um, we serve a uh, financially strapped community i mean we're serving mostly 20 year olds mm -hmm. um however like churches like uh, mars hill michigan that started out with we're going to give 25 percent off the yeah. top mm. from the beginning i think is a is an outstanding way to elevate hey here are things that we care about first and foremost um yeah but still, even if like you know mars hill obviously you know had great preacher with rob bell and then shane hibbs was there another great preacher and whoever's there now i don't know who that is but i'm sure they're great you know aaron nequist was there who's a great worship leader and so they have like very gifted people and so a mm -hmm. lot of what they did was you know sunday morning and i wonder if like this group of people who they don't have the same respect for the position of mm -hmm. the pastor and so whenever he or she gets on the stage and says thus said the lord it doesn't carry the same way for sure and so all of a sudden you're not having to hear that from that position because it's not the person that you're connected to is that you think part of that's the, the dynamic that these people are experiencing while they don't care as much I, I, bet, I bet if we were if we were to have asked the duns I, I feel pretty confident about this that if you were to ask them uh, would you rather get uh, a 30 minute sermon on a sunday uh, or no, let's 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 branch let's make this bigger because it's not about it's not about the sermon would you rather get an hour and a half worship service that took a hundred staff hours to produce or would you rather get um, a, a, a worse version of that hour and a half worship service that took 45 hours to produce and they, and the staff spent the other time, you know, serving their community every time, every single time. They would say, I don't care if the band is a little bit off key. They don't care. Okay. I don't want any of these people coming to my church. Okay. <laughs> Cause do they not care? Do they not care in theory? I imagine they actually would care in part if they actually attended that gathering over and over and over and over again. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. So when you ask somebody this question in an interview, right, it's easier for them to sort of imagine, but having to sit through an off key band every single week. I, I, so like that's where, that's where you have to think a little bit pragmatically about the data and think like, okay, so what would the, and this is where, when I talked to pastor, like, I, that's the question I asked, like, what would this look like in your church? How could, if let's pretend for a minute, yeah. like you wanted you know, to do that, how would you pursue it? And what they tell me is like, uh, what we eventually get to is some version of, we could make it simpler. Yeah. You know, maybe oh. not less good. Yeah. Is that a, is that a, anyway, but simple. Vanderbilt doesn't teach you like no. they used to. Um, it was no. sociology, not English. <laughs> so, okay. The last person on the show, which you guys haven't heard because it hasn't been posted yet, but was uh, a guy who's on staff at, at Hillsong, which I don't know if you noticed, they put a few hours into what they do. It's like the, uh, and I saw the trailer before Inside Out actually. The trailer, yeah. Have you for, seen this? Oh, yeah, like, for the movie. Song music. Yeah. They're doing a movie trailer, like, before okay. a Pixar film. The, okay, the, yeah. the guy who was on the podcast, uh, Paul, is the video guy. And okay. so, like, that's what he... he oh. We love the video, Paul. Good night, mate. And, but, like, so they, they have these services all across the world, you know, London and New York and obviously down in Sydney. And, like, people are flocking to this. And the Sunday morning service has to be, like, the apex of, of everything they do. And so for a lot of people... 
that is for them. But what I hear you saying is like there needs to be different expressions because you can't have like this this universal expectation for all of us to line up and say this is exactly what feeds me spiritually. That's exactly. Is that right. fair to say? Yeah. No. There's uh, the Hills. I don't think that the success of Hillsong is uh, presents any counter evidence to the rise of the Duns. Mm-hmm. I'd also be the both things happen at the same time. How? how do, because well, because I think there are there is that group of people that do want that show like mm-hmm. that that not because it's not not show as in spectacle as in like look at that thing like you would watch a a, a Miley Cyrus video. Um, <laughs> yes, that is an intentional comparison. Um, Hold on, Hillsong is like the Texas of churches. Okay, <laughs> right? Come on, think about that. <laughs> I, I came up with that after I recorded with Paul. I was like, dang it, I didn't use it in the pod. Yeah, That's really good. But but looks like that group exists. That group will always ex- exist for sure. I, I think that uh, you know if you were to push me on like the trends, I would say that I think that that's probably going to be a smaller percentage of the market in the future. Um, if you think about churches as a market in the future, but but fine, like you can all you'll always be able to get some churches will always be able to survive on that model. But there will also be this group of people that by being that kind of place, they will never be able to keep or attract. Yeah. You're going to say something, Jeff? Yeah, it seems to me that I'm not sure that you can label that a church. I, I think it is the sh- a show. It's a very well-produced show. But, like, if that's all church is, who is going to care for you when you're in the hospital? The people you care about are in the hospital. It seems like there's many of the functions of a church don't really work there. I'm all for large events that, that um, the body comes together, gathers around. I'm super excited to see Rob Bell come. I'm going to see all kinds of friends from around Colorado. I haven't gotten to see for a while because I know they're going to be there. Um, and we're going to get to commune there. But you can't do that every week. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to have a local community where I'm actually doing and processing life uh, together. It seems like there's something that's missing uh, yeah. in that form have church expression. Yeah, it's a different model. And you know, my mother church was a mega church. And so, you know, their model is like you, you get a big crowd and then you try to push everyone into community through small groups. And right. okay, so that's a, it's a different model. But I think, you know, the, the mega church realizes, okay, we, we can't do that, what you're describing on Sunday morning. So for us, we have to get everyone in small groups. And that's, you know, that that's their challenge and the challenge, um, you know, whatever. I mean, it's different churches for mm-hmm. different kinds of people. I mean, I'd imagine this is where the resource hog comes in if what you're trying to do is with all the money get people to go do something else that may not be the best expenditure of your cash interesting very interesting unless you really like the show and you find your value and your you know i mean there there is something deeply intoxicating about the stage and having the microphone and being in front of large audiences who are all holding their hands up well and there's no i mean i think the the other thing that becomes sort of I don't want to say corrupting. That's too strong of a word, but it becomes all encompassing about the Sunday morning experiences that there, there's no cap on it, right? Like you can always have, you can always have one more smoke machine or you can always, you know, have a, like a slightly better guitar riff or, you know, something else can always be added to it. So it's not like, it's not like you ever sit there on Tuesday afternoon. If you're leading worship, and be like, I think we're good here. Yeah. You never it, say that was okay. We, we, we've perfected this. It's right. done. We're, we'll be good to go on Sunday. If you're good on Tuesday, then you think like, Oh, I wonder what we could, I wonder what else we could do. And so it just, it's never like it, it, in my experience and in the experience of the people that are, that were providing the data for the book, like it just became this thing that was mm. the, the sort of reason for being the church as opposed to a part of the church. And it continues to just suck more and more energy. And that's right. really interesting. I'm not going to change anything that I do because like, I finished no. my sermons on Tuesday and then I still, well, let me look at them again on Friday and then Saturday night yeah. and then I'll look at it again. On Sunday. But I'm obviously right. Like sure. that what I'm doing is correct. Okay. We're going to move on. And t- so you don't offend me anymore. <laughs> 
you had this thing you what, what would you do, Luke? As a personal question, like, what do you think you would do? Hold on, hold on, hold on. On, on Tuesday, if you finished your sermon. I'm you. I know, but what would you, if, if you weren't, if somebody prohibited you. I don't know, what I'd have to do, go, like, feed a homeless person? Or <laughs> pray for a shut-in? Or, I don't know, like, pure unadulterated religion. Right, okay. Yeah, go, thanks I was just curious. Yeah, thanks. We're going to edit that part out. He started sure. a podcast. Yeah, he started a podcast. Right. Fair and enough. <laughs> okay, you talked about, I think the language was uh, shadow friendships. No, oh, shadow it? missions. This shadow is Ash- missions. This is Ashley's biggest sort of uh, actual word contribution to the book besides data. She she came up with this. Okay, so Ashley is, was was a student of yours. She actually was actually an undergraduate, and, and now she's working on her doctorate at Vanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, shadow missions. Yeah. My my biggest hang up about being a church planner is that you've got to connect people to your church, or your church doesn't exist. Yeah. And so it creates in you this like motivation that you've got to find people and get them to your church which does one thing it turns people into a commodity you right. need to acquire a commodity of people who fill pews who give money who do stuff at your church to make your children's ministry and your setup and your sound all that stuff and it turns you into a terrible person because you are using people to get something that you need and, and it might be a very good thing that you want but it's still you you're using people and yeah. and the duns they they understand the game that's being played absolutely because many of them played it for you know because the, the duns were disproportionately highly involved <laughs> exactly, in their churches yeah. so they were doing this for a long time many of them um we talked to i don't i don't i don't mean to shock any of the audience out there but we, we talked to a lot of current and former pastors who counted themselves among the duns so. i'm not one of them though, yeah no okay? not it's i not, am still a christian <laughs> well hey the duns are still christians ish no, no, I'm kidding. They are. Come they on. Are. They, it was a joke. And, and in fact, the Duns, uh, you know, as much as the pastors might yell at me about that, the Duns yell at me and say, we're also still the church because the church. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Calm down. It's when we say church, we mean brick and mortar, yeah. you know, building. Um, but the it, what the, their response to, to that thing would say, if you want to plant a church, let's expand that definition of church to the way that it's probably biblically intended as opposed to a, an actual place. And why don't you come alongside the Duns and be the church with them instead of trying to get them to a church? And, and again, this is, this is not something that will work for everybody, right? This is, yeah. I, this is an important and uh, sizable group of the population, but it, this is not everybody, right? This is, yeah. this is, a, this is a distinct group of people. And, so, yeah. yeah, so Jeff, you're, you're nodding your head over there as you're saying that. Yeah, the... I, I don't, in church world, especially when your paycheck is based on who attends, it's very, um, you can quickly think about your church as just the people who show up on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. and not realize that your church actually is a much broader community of people who are encountering Christ through the people um, who you are investing in and in their lives and there's a handful for example our church has a a coffee shop that's in the front of the the space it's a privately owned um coffee shop with people who generally don't go to our church who are the people who work there but they in in one of the things that we were talking about on the way down is that those people have had a connection to christ through their work there and in a profound way they are part of our church because they're part of our community and they're actually experiencing Christ in profound ways through their work there. And there's nothing wrong with thinking about the Duns, even if they're not showing up on Sundays saying this person is still part of my community, part of the faith. They are the church um, and still holding them in our hearts and our minds and our prayers in that way. How, How do you help your church imagine their church being bigger than just who's there on Sunday morning? Because 
for a lot of people, it's our momentum, our like effectiveness, our quote unquote success as a church is who's in the seats on Sunday morning, but you're trying to get people to imagine church being bigger than just that. Is there any way that you've found uh, helpful to do that, to help your church see that? Um, I haven't gone, I haven't wrestled through that particular kind of question. I suppose if I was trying to picture that, I would want to talk about who the Holy Spirit is that, you know, often in American culture, especially evangelical culture, the pastor, senior pastor is the leadership head who's it's their agenda that is driving the church. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's false. The head of the church is the Lord Jesus and his grace is, is loose in the world all around us. And and our best possible moves are to find where that is just, uh, you know, exploding in people's hearts and to join him and elevating him in those places. So I imagine I would want to go down those places as here's who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works all around us. And we want to be part of that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And we often say that the, one of the things that I think the, the became very clear as we were doing this and then, and then group actually turned around and commissioned a national survey of Duns. that's going to come out here pretty soon. Um, so I'm, I've got some of that data r- rattling around in my head. It's a quantitative thing as opposed to this qualitative data in this book. Yeah, because I know the difference in those two words. Oh, sorry. So the qualitative means <laughs> that it's uh, interview-driven, observation-driven. Quantitative is the surveys. You've all taken surveys. Mm-hmm. Um, you click stuff off, and, and we try and put a number to it, a percentage. And if we if we do that process right, then our numbers are representative of the population that we're interested in. In this case, the population of the United States. Okay. Um, and so the survey is an, is an attempt to quantify the stuff that emerged out of Church Refugees, the book. But the one of the findings that has been echoed in both is that the, the and this is one of the things that pastors listening to your podcast might really, really care about, is that the the, the Duns are in many ways your biggest and best bridge to the nuns mm. because they're already out there. As we see from the book, like they're doing stuff. It's not like it's not like they're leaving church and sitting at home. Um, they're, they're leaving churches because they feel stifled by them. And so they're going out into their communities and they're doing the things that they felt like they couldn't do in the church. And in doing so, they're inherently bumping up against the nuns. And what are they saying about your church? Oh, <laughs> All right. can we just send out a flyer instead? That'd be so much easier. Door hangers, door, door hangers. hangers I know. Yeah. Yes. Those are, you can get those real cheap. Okay. We can buy Facebook ads. I, I know. I'm, That's like the that, 2015 equivalent of a door hanger to piggyback on that yeah. that was exactly our experience when we started atlas is the the folks who you know were just like you know this is this is just a train wreck this whole church and we took well the train wreck actually it wrecked and <laughs> and the church fell apart and so when we took off we took off from the smoldering heap that it was um we were the duds we weren't going to a church we didn't do a church for for a while but it was the case that most of the people that we loved and did life with um, were the nuns. And the only reason we started a church was because we wanted to create space for people that we loved who were nuns to experience the Jesus that we, yeah. that we were experiencing. Oh, yeah. that's good. Okay, so if there's a pastor listening and he's forgiven you for insulting... Or she. Yes, or she. Excuse me. It's Sorry. just a sociology thing. Yes. <laughs> this is my podcast. I'm trying to take it over. <laughs> Luckily, I'm going to edit a bunch of stuff in to make you sound like an idiot. There we uh, go. So, uh, so a pastor is listening mm-hmm. and she thinks to herself, okay, what should I do? To, cause I want to learn how to connect with the duns. Maybe cause I want to learn how to connect with the nuns that they're already connecting sure. to. And she's going, okay, what do I do? What can she do besides buy a copy of your book, church refugees available now at fine 
retailers across this world. Um, <laughs> what, what what is that person to do? What like the first thing to do? How how do they start this? So I would say that the first thing, if if there's one major piece of advice, and people often ask for this, it's to understand that even like church refugees is not a how-to manual for how to you know for getting for getting people into the doors of a church. I'm a sociologist. I fundamentally don't care about that question. Um, I think that's a pastor. <laughs> like I think that's a pastor question. Thanks a lot. Hey. Appreciate uh, helping us out. Thanks, I want to be clear about where the boundaries are. Um, I don't care I, about you, pastors. By the no, way, like I get this true. all the time. Yeah. Like this, like these <laughs> disheartening kind <laughs> of statements. <laughs> like I really don't care about work. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Okay. Not that I don't, I, I don't care about. Like it's not my question to answer. Okay. You know, it's, I don't have that expertise. I don't have that experience. Like that's that's a question really for you and Jeff to answer. Um, and it's a com- what we would like to be. We would like to be a part of that conversation mm-hmm. because we think we have uh, some valuable things to add into that conversation. So the as as pastors are wrestling with what to do about that, to understand that church refugees is not going to be. Uh, there are some things that we suggest in there for how to deal with your organizational struct- organization structurally, um, but it's not it's not a prescriptive. Here's your five steps that you need to do to win back the lost or something. Um, so the the first thing I would say is to get your head around the idea though that the Duns are probably not coming back. Um, they 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 have said nothing in the interviews. There's nothing in the quantitative data that's going to come out soon that tells us that they're going to come back. Um, they they are not they're not going to be sort of reclaimed by the church. But, 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 but they're not, for the most part, angry with the church. They understand that the church has a role to play and that it played an important role for them. And they will re-engage with the church when the church is doing meaningful work. And so if we can broaden our definition of church a little bit and understand that that work that's happening is the same work that I'm interested in doing, and we can come alongside those people and create space in our organization to help resource and support them, that to me seems like a productive relationship. The I think it's really key to understand that neither of these groups needs each other, right? The Duns don't need the church and the church <laughs> does not need the Duns, but they're both better off if they can find a place to work together. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. The biggest challenge that I've had in Josh's book and the material is, has been the active side of the stuff you're not doing during the Sunday gathering and how are you being the church um, outside those walls because it is the case and, and we'll know people who are duns. They would love to get involved in whatever you're doing outside of those walls. It's just hearing the, the guy's opinion, you and I hearing yeah. the guy's opinion about the Bible every Sunday. It's just not for them anymore. And they've, they there's, and that's, they have hangups or abuse or whatever it's, but they want to experience Jesus outside the walls and would love to, to do that with the rest, with people who are engaged in church life. Yeah, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. I, that is one of the things I, I really do like about the book, Josh, is that you, you weren't trying to do what Jeff and I are supposed to be doing as pastors. You, you're just saying, this is the information. This is what I've gathered. You guys do something with it. And I think that's, I think that's really helpful. And honestly, well, good. What, sometimes I get a pushback on the podcast and say, why don't you just have – you see some good pastors on there. I'm going, no, no, we don't. There we you don't. go. Yeah, well, no, no, and we do have a good pastor on here. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm on a podcast. I'm a good pastor. No, but I think, oh, yeah. but I think like we need to, as pastors, church leaders, people who, who are invested in communities of faith, we need to hear people with different flavors that they're bringing to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think your book really does that. And so oh, I'd encourage people to read that. Um, Personally, I'm just going to go work on my sermon more. Good. That's what I'm going to do and make Sunday morning better. If you can get it from 98 to 99% perfection, that's going to be worth it. First of all, that is the best thing you've said all day. You've (laughs) said my sermon was 98% perfect. So I think we can end on that note. Guys, thank you for making the drive down from Greenlee. Greeley. 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 Which South Park says is the opposite of Hawaii. 
<laughs> well, that's a great invitation to try some tourism into your town. Thank you guys for, for joining us, joining me. Fun conversation. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>